So welcome to the show. This is Rhonda, your girl Cotton, and you are listening to Her Perspective of a True Man. And we are on another week where I have just had fabulous guest after guest. I'm just sharing, giving their wisdom and, you know, just what it is to be a young woman or a young man. But, you know, the show is about having real talk with real men. So my, my desire is to always put real men before you that are telling their story so you can hear these stories that these men are willing to share. And it's not just coming from the woman's perspective, but also men being able to tell you their truth. Today, my guest is Mr. Marvin Carr Jr. And Marvin Carr Jr. is um, a young man that is um, very highly respectable. You know, he's a family man. He has children, grandchildren. Um, he has a great career and he has um, had a lot of different experiences in life. So, um, but I want to bring him on so that he can share his story about what it's like um, being um, a male, you know, in today's world and the challenges that's, you know, that is happening right now. With right lives matter so marvin i just want to welcome you to the show <laughs> um, and so kind of tell my listening audience a little bit about yourself so we will have an idea of you know what what type of young man you are well my name is marvin carr um i live in kansas city kansas born and raised um i'm 54 years old and I'm just glad to be able to be on this and to be able to talk and have a conversation. Um, I'm a father of three, son of two daughters, three grandchildren, and another one on the way. And so um, it's been a journey, but it's been an amazing journey. So I appreciate all the opportunities that's been presented to myself. And so I'm just excited to be here to be able to have some real talk and good narrative and good conversation. That's good. So kind of tell the audience what, what kind of work you do. So I am a GI tech. I've been doing it for 36 years. Um, I got grandfathered in into my position and everything like that. So um, I was able to work at a hospital for 28 years and I transitioned from there to be able to work at the University of Kansas Medical Center where I worked for eight years and as well as the tech, but I was a preceptor. So actually I was a teacher and I was teaching the first, second, third, fourth year fellows as far as doing GI procedures. And then along the way, I decided to be a travel tech. And so I was able to travel to Kona, Kalui, Hawaii and work there 10 months on a contract. And so that's just been an amazing opportunity. You know, I love taking care of people. Um, I'm a servant in that capacity. And I would do my job for free because I just love serving others. That's great. That's what they say. If you want to figure out a person's passion, you know, you think about what, what could you do that you didn't have to be paid for? Yeah, I know, you know, I love doing it. You know, it's nothing like taking care of people, you know, and to be able to be a servant for them to be able to help them black, white, Puerto Rican, or Haitian, because that's my gift. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to health, it doesn't just, it doesn't discriminate. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing like being able to comfort someone, hold somebody's hands, because 
the capacity of my job, what I did, we, you know, we diagnosed people with pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, and everything like that. So, you know, something to be able to take care of someone and diagnosing them with pancreatic cancer and telling them they only have three to six months to live, you know, so that within itself is tough, you know, because once you give that diagnosis, their life is forever changed, but not only their life is forever changed, but their family also. Yes, yes, it is. So tell me, um, you know, what it's like, because um, there's a lot of things that you have gone through, you've gone through, you've had a very long marriage, had your, your children, now you have grandchildren, um, you've gone through a divorce. Yep. And so what has life, you know, been like over the last, you know, the last few years, you know, let's take us back through walking um, through your, your marriage and um, what brought you all to that point of saying, okay, that's it. Well, number one, I got married at a young, I had kids at a young age. So at 19, I had two kids and I fell in love with my high school sweetheart I uh, got married at 22. At 27, I had three. And, um, and so I was a young man, a young dad, just trying to figure it all out because there's no directions or no map about how to be a husband or even trying to be a father at, a, at, at such a young age. You know, and so I wasn't making a lot of money back then. And so, you know, so... I had to get down how I lived, and so I had to give me a part-time job. I did that for like 15 years, you know, being able to take care of my home, my, my wife, my kids, you know, sending them to school, college, and all those other different narratives. And then when I was 28, my grandfather moved in with me, and so we were caregivers for him for eight years, and he was on peritoneal dialysis. So trying to raise a family, trying to hire, trying to be a husband, trying to be a father, trying to be a grandson, taking care of my grandfather, working two jobs. I mean, it was tough, right. you know what I'm saying? But I would never change that journey because that made me the man that I am today, you know? And so um, it was just, it was just something. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, I mean, it was just, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a job, you know, and um, I never had like an older role model in my life as a man because all my, my grandfather's passed, my uncles had passed, you know, my mom and dad got divorced when I was probably like 19. And so my dad was out of my life for years. Well, I didn't see him. I didn't talk. And so the only person that I had was like my cousin that moved in with us when I was teenagers. And so we always modeled each other. You know what I'm saying? As far as growing as a man. But my foundation was always in church because I was raised in church all my life. So if I didn't have God that particular time of my life, I don't know what I would do. You know, and... I mean, that's just the beauty of the struggle as a man is to be able to still grow, 
but still try to learn yourself and identify yourself in so many different ways. Right. You know? And um, I was married for 30 years, you know, and our marriage at one point was an amazing marriage, you know, but then different things happened and things were like never the same, you know, and at one point I separated for a year and I wasn't going to go back, you know, because I was just like done. But at that particular point in my life, it wasn't about me. It was about my kids. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I stayed so they can have that environment as far as a father being there, you know? And then as my kids start getting older and leaving the house and everything like that, I was at the point where me and my wife, we were just, we were not there. And so I made the decision for me to get out of a marriage that I wasn't happy. It was toxic. And we were going through the same transitional loop. So I was the one to hit the, hit the delete button mm -hmm. and I checked the hell out. But that was the best decision for me. That so, was the best decision for me. So when your, your mom and dad got um, divorced at the age of when you were 19. Right. What did that do to you as a young man who grew up with your father in your household all of your life? You know, what did that do to you? And then, you know, um, did your father get remarried? Yeah, I mean, you know, when he left, when I was 19 and everything like that, I already knew that mom and dad, marriage and everything, it was what it was. You know, and so I didn't charge nobody with anything because, you know, that was their decision. I didn't hold no grudge against my dad. I didn't hold no grudge against my mother, you know, because they had to do what was best for them. But I can tell you that I was, uh, I was glad that I was raised in a household that was full of love and we were raised in the church. But as a young man, I valued that time, you know, because my dad was like, he was like my first teacher. I mean, he was like my first Sunday school teacher. You know, he was my first pastor, you know, but he was my dad. You understand what I'm saying? But I realized in my mid-20s and in my mid-30s that I needed my dad more in my 20s and 30s than I did when I was 19 or 18 years old. Yes. Yeah. You know, because, you know, the things that I was experiencing as a young, as a, a, a older man trying to figure out marriage and trying to figure out a relationship with a wife and everything like that, I didn't have that mentor. I didn't have that voice. And once he left at 18, me and him did not start developing a relationship until I was in my 40s. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But when we rekindled that relationship, it was just like he never left. Right. So I can share that with any young man is that it's good to have your dad at home when you're a teenager, but it's so crucial that you have him in your 20s and your 30s, you know, to be able to have that narrative and to be able to have that raw, true conversation with a son and a father. Yeah. And that is important because I think a lot of people feel that, you know, oh, once your father's gone, he's gone, or once your mother's gone, they're gone. But they don't realize that a lot of decisions that we make in our 20s, 30s, and 40s 
are because of the lack of parents that we needed, whether it's the mother or the father. Exactly. We make decisions that we would probably not normally make if they were there to give us the guidance. So mm -hmm. that's stuff right there, you know, just to say that you needed him more so when you hit your 20s and 30s than you did when you was 18, 19 years of age. Because you just exactly. you ain't really doing nothing. But now in your 20s and 30s, you married father with babies. Exactly. You know, and, and you. And and trying to figure it out. Yeah, that guidance is very, very well needed at that point. Um, because it's best to, if you can learn from your own parents, um, some, it's better than having to be out there and finding out things in the streets that you know are not going to benefit you in no shape, form, or fashion whatsoever. Uh, you know, but you know, I was, you know, I was never a street guy anyway. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it was just like my homies that we grew up in the hood. We were all, all of us were really close, still are today. And it's a blessing that all the guys that I grew up with, it's eight of us, me being nine, all of us are still alive. And that's a blessing. I don't know too many people that can say that, that guys they grew up in the neighborhood are still alive. You know, I mean, and we talk to each other all the time, which is a beautiful thing. Right. So and so, um, I always knew right from wrong. You know what I'm saying. But then, you know, I got caught up and fell in love with my wife when I was 17, and that devilish thing messed me up. And I was never right after that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, I'm just keeping it 100. You know. And so, once I latched on to that and became a father when i became a father i became a father and that was it it was just my kids and my wife and my family and um that was it kids wife and family so tell me um how has your relationship changed with your dad you know as you you know in your 40s you were able to um restore um, that relationship yeah i was able to restore the relationship and because i needed that relationship That's and i couldn't and you know and i couldn't come into the relationship with baggage yes you know i couldn't come in with baggage be like you know what you know you weren't there for me you know why didn't you never call me because I knew him as a man too. He was going through the stuff that he was going through. So it's no way that I could come in and judge him and be like, you know what, this, that, you my dad, I love you. I want us to have a relationship as men right now, because I'm not a child anymore. Right. But I'm, I'm seeking you as my dad so I can come to you with, uh, for advice. Yeah. And, you can be my confidant. You know what I'm saying? That we can uh, still have a narrative as father and son, but we still can have a conversation as men, you know? And so I had to accept where we were at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I never looked back. And, you know, that's very important because a lot of times when you have these these relationships that have um, gone astray, 
um, sometimes, you know, the majority of the time kids come back wanting to know the why instead of just looking forward to moving in the direction that you want to go in and creating the relationship that you want to have. They're always interested in wanting to ask the why. And a lot of times when you have parents that are um, hesitant or have some guilt of not doing the right things, they don't always want to answer the whys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't important for me to know why. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Because my ass didn't care. Right. I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't gonna point the finger at nobody because I didn't know what that relationship would what they had behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. The only, you know what I'm saying? So the only thing that I know that if I wanted to have a mature uh, relationship with my dad, I had to come in, like I said, with no baggage. Come in with love and, um, and not having any expectations. Right. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I always say, um, you just have to do your part. Because, you know, I heard it saying, the best intentions are fraught with disappointment. Yes. So, and so, you know, so I had to set myself up where I was like open and we just start having, we just start having conversations and we just start talking and just start talking about life and all those other different things. And I think our relationship is amazing right now. You know what I'm saying? He's full of wisdom. He's full of knowledge. He's never judged me in any capacity, good, bad, indifferent. You know, he always spoke love to me. And so that makes me feel really good, you know. Well, and, I, it's, and it's, and you know, and it's just how your mindset is. Because I can honestly tell you, me and my dad have an amazing relationship. But my sisters and my dad don't have a good relationship. Because mm-hmm. they still hold on bitter and upset and all those other different things, you know. Yeah. And, and, and until they can allow themselves to to forgive them free, then they always gonna be in bondage. Yeah, you know? and that's true. So you've said a, a few things here. One, you said that you could you could take your baggage with you. Right. Your baggage. Right. You had to be willing to allow him to be him, because whatever happened between him and your mother, you have nothing to do with that. It's none. Oh of no. Your, that's between them. Right. Then the other thing was that um, not having expectations of what you feel or think he should be or how he should be, but just letting him be him. Right. Those three things, look, are so major because so many people get caught up with, hey, you got to do this and you better do this and this has to happen this way and if it doesn't happen this way then there's a problem and i don't like it and all this stuff but those three things you know leaves the door open for opportunities to build a strong relationship to restore a broken relationship to mend broken pieces that you know the two people may have and a Mm -hmm. lot don't understand that and they don't want to practice that and the reason why you know people get mad it's like they're still carrying your mother's hurt your sisters are 
They're still walking yeah. around with her pain and still walking around with all the stuff that has happened because they don't want to accept that you got to move on. What happened between the mother and the dad is between them. But in exactly. order to become the best you ever, you got to be able to forgive and move on. Have to. You know, you can't change anything. You can't change a person's mind. They nope. had, they had their own reason for doing whatever they did. Um, yeah. But you got to be willing to just work through stuff. And like I said, but you know, like I said, I didn't charge nobody with anything. It wasn't me to charge nobody with. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just had to be like, okay, this is what it is. Even though mom has always been here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she's always been here and everything, but I I couldn't put her on a pedestal or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody got their flaws and everybody has their weaknesses and all those other different things, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, if if it was the time that she were to speak negative and dad in any capacity, I would say, hey, I don't want to hear that. You know, because dad, uh, dad never talked bad about mama in any capacity good bad or different mm-hmm. you know and then you know dad finally he moved on he got married you know and shit he's been married for i don't know how many years got five beautiful kids i got three brothers and two sisters which is amazing yeah. you know his wife is amazing you know and we have a really good relationship which i'm proud of you know and so I have a relationship with my brothers and sisters and Amelia, you know, and so it's, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. That's good. That's, that's good stuff. Um, in doing that, how has your relationship been with your children um, since, you know, the divorce of um, your wife? It's been cool. I mean, at first, you know, they all knew, um, you know, they all knew that, um, they all, they knew for years that our relationship wasn't a good relationship and it was probably a toxic relationship. And so once I decided to divorce and everything, my oldest daughter was like, I was wondering when you was going to have the balls enough to get out. Mm. And I was like, wow, 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 wow. You know, and so, (laughs) so, and then, you know, then, you know, uh, my older two, my kids, older two and kids and everything. Um, um, my son and my youngest daughter and everything, they've always been monotone and everything, but they felt like it was the best decision for both of us. You know, and it took them a minute because they always used to us being family, doing family dinners together and just being together. And so when that unit was broke, I think it hurt them for a while but they mm-hmm. knew it was the best decision, you know? Right. And so it's been over what? Six or seven years? Cause I was separated for a couple of years before I got divorced. Okay. But after that, we were able still to have family functions together. You know, my ex-wife and me and the kids and the grandkids would get together and, you know, we would travel together. You know, last year we went on a cruise together for eight days. And so, you know, it, it was cool, you know. Yes, and that's great. I think it's important also to say that um, 
you and your wife deciding to go your separate ways had nothing to do with um, abuse. Well, no. I mean, you know, in, I mean, in 37 years, I mean, I mean, in 37 years, we had, a, I never called her out of her name. You know what I'm saying? Now, we, we might have, like, you know, words and stuff and things like that. But my safe word for me, when I felt that I was getting upset, I only said a couple of times, she might be talking crazy, and I would say, hey. She would say something again. I'd be like, hey, because that's it. I'm done. Let me go outside. Let me go smoke a cigarette or whatever else, and then we can come back and engage in this conversation. You know, but never no physical, mm -mm, nah, nope, mm -mm, nothing in that capacity. And that's, mm -mm. and that's good. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people have to learn how to do, you know, because when you are in relationships with someone and you're going through things, you have to remember, it's not just you going through it. The other people are going through it as well. So you have two people going through and experiencing something in life um, in a different way based off their own point of view, but it's all together at the same time. Right. You know, you have to have that, um, that place where you can respect each other's boundaries. So that there, you know, is good. Um, how has it been, you know, being... Um, with what's going on right now in in the society uh black lives matter what's okay, your because, i mean i mean i just want to piggyback on that i didn't i i'll tell you it wasn't in physical abuse but mm -hmm. i feel like i suffer more mental abuse okay and i say that because she was controlling yes and, and manipulative you know what i'm saying and so I was tired, tired of the psychological BS. You know what I'm saying? That was my biggest thing for me. And that was and the biggest reason. And that was the biggest reason that I checked out. Yeah, that's you the know? point. Because a lot of times men, people don't look at it that men go through anything when it comes to abuse, especially when you're talking about psychological abuse, mental abuse. People think, oh, you know, man up. You need to be strong about that. It shouldn't be anything mm -hmm. that says that should bother you. But the reality is that the words and what somebody says and how they speak over your life last longer than the physical abuse. So I always say, you know, we are we live by the decisions that we made on yesterday. Mm -hmm. And wherever we are today is based on a decision. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying and so that was the best decision for me that was the best decision for me and you talking about the black life matters I would never think at 54 years old that I would see the things that are going on now that are things that my mother and my grandparents and all of them live back in 65 or 68 and everything like that but I feel like right now we are in that place. We are so divided. Mm -hmm. We don't have we don't have any leadership, you know, and we are losing that people that was in the forefront for us 
the old matriarchs and the models and everything are dying. Yeah. But we don't but we don't have anybody else in our age bracket that are in that position to be able to do different things like that. And that's a, I mean, that's a sad and it's sad. You know, I believe that we have struggled for too long to try to make a difference and our voice have always been silent. Mm-hmm. And we're at a place now that people are speaking their voice and they're speaking their truth, you know, and they want to unify. They want to be able to grow and prosper. But if you don't have any leadership, any guidance in that capacity, where people can sit in a room and talk about different things that's going on, then it's going to be shameful if the Black uh, Life Matters um, situation, if it doesn't flourish and grow and it doesn't become stagnant and it just only be a statement. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, that, and that's very true. It is going to be sad because that means nobody put aside their, their real differences of how they look at stuff and work collectively together as a community, as um, people from all walks of life. Right. You know, Black Lives Matter is just not about the Black people. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's about everybody. No, you know, we have Hispanics that get treated like they outcasts. You know, people discriminate against them all the time. We, as Black people, discriminate each other, you know, all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't like yeah. the- the way somebody looks, we don't like her hairstyle. We don't like the color of his skin. And, you know, he light bright, you know, all of that. So there's a lot of stuff we do amongst each other. But we have the nerve to get mad about, you know, certain things that happen because of what we've caused. You know, a lot of this is a cause and effect. Exactly. You know, happened to go from the cause to the effect of uh, you know what we're having to deal with and that's what we don't like getting into we don't like getting into those realms of uh really Discom- in. i always say the realms of discomfort yes because it's very discomforting you know people you know? i mean people don't like to be discomfort but i think sometimes if you have to stoke the fire you have to be discomfort to be able to engage in a conversation or even have a net a narrative or even or even have a platform right you know and i think that too is that our african sisters have been on the back burner for so long and we have so many bright minds so many intelligence sisters that has a voice that needs to be out there in the boy uh in the forefront speaking the truth and yeah. to be able to engage in conversation and narrative and not sit back just because they are a woman of color where their voice can't be heard. Because I have two daughters, you know, and I have a granddaughter, you know, and I want them to be able to speak their truth in their mind and not be afraid to speak or to stand on something that they believe in just because they're an African-American woman. Right. That whether it be at home, in the workplace, or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I believe that every, you know, people can speak their truth. It's, it depends on how people are projecting their truth. Right. You know, um, 
some people can do things in a manner that you know you don't realize you you're being reprimanded but you can accept it because of the way the person is speaking to you and right and there are ways when another person can be wanting to say the same thing but it's just the way they come off how aggressive that they're being you know in regards to engaging in the conversation which a lot of times you don't need all that, but people will do that because they're trying to assert authority. You know, I'm a firm believer that if you are who you are, whatever that may be, and you're consistent in your being, and people right. can see that from day to day, then they will have more respect for you and be more apt to listen to you because they know this is who you are. You're not doing anything or trying to be somebody that you're not, but you are just truly, truly speaking your truth. And that right. makes a difference in how people hear you. Right. Like, I don't hear if you're yelling. What you talking about? Because, see, I'm, I can tune out. I'm going to check out because that's, that's the stuff I don't deal with. But if right. you come to me and we're having a dialogue and conversation and you're trying to prove a point and you have whatever you need to have or you're saying whatever you have saying, but you're saying it in a way that you're letting me know you want me to hear you and the tone of your voice is at a register that is operable for me to hear you, and I'm good with that. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you don't have to be loud and there's nobody selling out. I hear all these young millennials talking about, well, y'all generation sold out and who sold out? What are you fighting? Yeah. Understand what your fight is. Yeah be getting into a fight that has nothing to do with you so you need to understand what the fight is exactly you know, everything is not the same dog dog after dog after dog no you got a different dog coming to the show so uh, the yeah. first dog may be mean as all outdoors the second one could be calm the third one could be mediocre but whatever exactly. dog shows up to the fight that's the dog you're addressing every dog is not coming to the fight the same way and I think people don't realize that because they want to go back and talk about all things, 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 things. Yeah, because you know, I always, you know, say, I always say, I always say, you, always can't say you, can't, my, you can't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you have to be able to be able to engage and have true conversation. Right. And some of these young Thundercats, they ain't been through nowhere. They, I call them, they, you know, they, they are just so shallow in so many different dynamics because, you know, they own their video games and stuff like that. You know, most of these young Thundercats in their 20s and 30s, I'm talking about men. They, yeah. still at home play, they still at home playing video games. They don't even know because they haven't been fathered. They don't know how to be a man and they don't know how to receive love right. because they haven't had daddy. And so they latch out in so many ways because they want daddy there. They want to smell daddy, but daddy is not there. Yeah. So what do you do in that brokenness? Who do you model yourself and your behavior? Because that person wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of these young men are so messed up because they didn't have a man at home who was loving, who was dad, who could tell them that they were right and they were wrong. And yeah. so they, they, so they trying to figure this process out and then, you know, they're hurt and they're angry. And so they don't know how to convey that in a, in a way, you know, 
So the first thing that they want to do is they want to hit somebody upside the head. First thing they yeah. want to do is they want to grab a gun and they want to shoot somebody or do so many other, all these other different things that communities are already damaged up, damaged as it is, right? Yeah. And so they make, they make more damage. And then if they father a child, the child was already in a, in a messed up situation because you got a young Thundercat who has no direction. Mm -hmm. And Rhonda, these young Thundercats, they don't have no work drive. These millennials, they don't know what work is. They can work at a job for money and be like, damn, I'm gone. And they'll try yeah. to do something else. They don't know, they don't know what work history is. You know they don't. They don't. So work history is for the is what they got for the what? For 15 days, 10 days, seven days? I mean, that's real talk. And and then they think they they doing something or they you know they go back and say well you know they didn't want me there anyway because I you know I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do this well is that a part of your job if that's a part of your job description then that's what you're supposed to do so when you say no you're not going to do something because you think you're too good but you want to check and it's just a lot of things that people don't get like you got to have some standards some morals some values you got to be able to to teach and show people by example right if you're constantly you know beating a dead horse the horse is dead he's not exactly, he exactly. you're not gonna resurrect him because he's mm -hmm. already done what he needs to do and so now his time is up his time has come but if you are trying to get someone to understand what to do the best way to do that is to lead by example Exactly, because you know what I used to tell my kids all the time when they were growing up and they were teenagers, mm -hmm. and they would go out on Friday or Saturday night, right? And I would give them that curfew, twelve o'clock. You know, sometimes you know I would stretch it out twelve thirty, no more than that. And when I when they would leave, I tell them I was telling them be careful, and I was like, and don't do anything that's going to disrespect my name. Because yes. my name means more than anything. So if I tell you to come home at 12 o'clock and you're not at home at 12 o'clock and somebody calls and say, hey, Marcus is in jail or Ash is in jail, I was like, so that's on me and my me and your mother. Yeah. And so I would tell them, don't do nothing to disrespect my name. And I meant that. And that's important because, you know, that's the one thing that my – Dad says all the time, there's only two things that people will recognize you for is your word and your name. That's it. You know? And if your word is no good and you jack your name up, those two things that, that people will normally respect you for off the top, you can, you can hang it up. Exactly. It's not, not gonna work anymore. And you know, and I, I just feel too what's lost too is that the family unit is so broken now because you don't have those those aunts like they were back in the day or you don't have yeah. those uncles that would chin check back in the day you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying or, or your grandmother and so a lot of these we were blessed to have that you know in our family you know and a lot of families are in such discord in that capacity they don't have nothing to model after right you know yeah, they, they don't have nobody to model after yeah, well, the, the crazy thing is you have a lot of children growing up without grandparents. Meaning exactly. that the grandparents 
grandparents are no longer alive. The great grandparents are no longer alive. The mom and dad are barely alive. <coughs> you know, they yeah. out on whatever they own, so they barely existing. And so now you have these children growing up, having to learn how to grow up in an environment and in a culture, and they're always in survival mode. Yeah. All surviving, not living, but surviving. And so people don't realize there's a difference between living and surviving. Oh, living, yeah. you're able to be able to enjoy life. You're able to see things through a, you know, in a brighter light. You're able to build relationships and have all these things that, you know, going for you. Survival means you're always reacting to whatever the world is giving you. Whatever life is giving you, that's you reacting to survive. You, you gotta, I gotta survive. This happened today. I gotta survive this, you know. So you never get to the point if you come out as an infant learning to survive. Exactly. Because you're always on survival mode. You're not coming out as an infant learning to live. You're coming out as an infant learning to survive. So there's always something that gets in the way of your living. Yeah. And people showing you that there's a difference and you can get to living and not just surviving. Who is, who's changing that mindset? Who's helping you understand, hey, you can do this. Right. It looks like this right now, but this is not going to be here always. Mm-hmm. So and you, you know, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying, I mean, and that's just what it is. We got to help them. Because right, for me, Black Lives Matter is survival. Yeah. They ain't figured out they can actually live. Right. Even in the midst of the storm, if we out on the boat and the storm hits us, yeah, the waves may be hitting it, but we can survive it and continue to live. Yeah, and you know what else is lost is like the neighborhood. Oh yeah. Like when I, like when I was growing up, we had a neighborhood mm-hmm. where everybody's mom and daddy knew each other's mom and daddy. You can go borrow some sugar, some washing powder, whatever else. But our neighborhood was policed by the dads in the neighborhood. Yeah. And so if a dad see you, uh, somebody else, dad seen you doing something wrong, they have permission to whoop your butt, knock on the door, and be like, hey, Marvin, I seen Marvin Jr. He was doing so-and-so, and so I, I tore his butt up, him and Rodney and so-and-so. And daddy be like, okay, thank you. And then he would close the door, and then he would whoop your butt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have those neighborhoods like um, we don't have those neighborhoods like that. You know what no. I'm saying? Where you can sit outside with your family outside and you can go talk to your neighbors and sit outside. Hell, some people don't even know who their neighbors are and they've been living in neighborhoods for years. Hello. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying, but that layer that layer and that foundation of the neighborhood and everything like that was so vital and important for me growing up as a young man. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I had a, a police officer in my neighborhood. You know, I had a mailman in my neighborhood. You know, yeah. I had a, guy, a neighbor that had his own business. So I seen men working all the time, you know? And that makes a big difference for me. I just totally believe that. It does, because you have a, you have a true village that is raising, you know, the kids in the village. You know, exactly. it's not just one person being, um, 
being responsible for the person. It is the everyone in the village that is making sure that whoever the child is, that they, you know, do what they're supposed to do and not go down the wrong path. Um, because a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with now is, you know, I don't even know how many of the, the kids really actually understand why they out here in Black Lives Matter. No. You know, it's supposed to be a movement, but the movement has turned into so many other things. Oh, yeah. People getting upset because everybody's not with it, um, how people are looking and perceiving Black Lives Matter. It's funny, I had a conversation with a friend of mine and she was talking about, you know, the word Negro and Negra. And so I said, well, the reality is it's Black. That's what it is. I said, now one means that you're Black. The other one means that you're Black and try to call you unintelligent, poor, whatever the case is. Yeah. I said, well, I can only identify to the one that identifies with me properly. That's just I'm black. Yeah. I don't identify with being racially in, in poor, impoverished or poor or whatever. That's not me. So I can't get upset about that. Exactly. They use those words for my ancestors because that was their way of identifying them because they didn't have a lot of their own stuff. And then when we did have people that became affluential in whatever they were doing and they were blessed to have their own businesses and have super intelligence, they still called us nigger. Yeah. So it didn't matter if you was poor or you were middle class or rich, you were still a Negro. So it yep. wasn't a thing that it was separated. It meant the same thing for all, no matter what your status was. So why should I get upset about a word that they used to try to put it and oppress us with? Exactly. When, the, when I think about it, it was a lot more of them, even now. They don't call black people trailer park trash. No, uh-uh. <laughs> they don't call us that. You don't no. even, we may be in the hood of the ghetto, but you don't catch us in the trailer park. No. So we in the ghetto surviving. The yeah. trailer park is doing what they need to do, but they don't come up nope. like they're coming up in the projects. Hell so no. when you talk about stuff, you got to take it and look at it. Is that your, is that your situation? I said, so I understand it, but look, I'm not, I don't have time to be bugged out about it. Well, no. No. Somebody I mean, asked me a question, we're going to address it. But as far as me walking around on my birth certificate, it says Negro. Yep. Color meaning black. Right. It don't say African American. It don't say black. It says Negro. Yep. But the way white folks put the other word, them niggas, that's a whole nother different deal. And that's of a person that they considered us unintelligent, where the reality was that the slaves were probably more intelligent than the white folks were. Oh, yeah. But they jumped us down so much that we thought because they were the ones that had the money or the land that we didn't have the same intelligence and we wasn't on their level. So what did we do? We dumbed our own stuff down. Mm -hmm. So when we dumb ourselves down and other people that are so scared and had the fear of God put in them by the other people of other ethnicities, what happened? Then you start turning on your own race. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you, you know, know, they shit and you know they shit it on the Indians. Hello. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I Hello. mean and they still doing it to this day. You know what and I'm they, saying? They do it to this day and then they try to justify it. But again, if you're gonna sit there and and eternalize everything, you're never gonna be able to breathe and move. You're yeah. always to be surviving. Yeah, and you know living when you let somebody else's words dictate to you where you're going. Exactly. You can shut a whole nation down by just your actions. You don't have right. to be your words. Your actions can shut everything down. Oh yeah. You know, because like I like I said, I just feel that's why I feel so good about like I said, picking back on me and dad. Because if I came in with so much resentment and, you know, baggage and stuff like that, mm -hmm. our relationship would still be dysfunctional. Right. You know, and you have to understand dysfunction. You know, you have to understand what dysfunction is yeah. and how you can be dysfunctional. And because, because you're dysfunctional and you're carrying weight and baggage and everything like that, there's no true healing in the process. And I mm -hmm. think this black... Um, life matter situation is that people are hurting, but people have to know how to heal and to cry out and say, Hey, I have an issue. I have a problem. I don't know how to figure it out. I just need to talk to somebody about it. You know, protest is good. Yes. Um, but I think a lot, um, a lot of people are just hurt and are yeah. toxic and are in dysfunctional situations and they don't know how to scream for help. You know, and so you got so many different people, black, white, Puerto Rican, and Haitians, who are feeling a particular way because they've been hurt. They've been hurt because of home situations. They've been hurt because of job situations. They've been hurt in relationships, brothers and sister relationships, aunt and uncle's relationship. And so you have all these different people who are hurting, who doesn't know how to seek help. And then you don't have any leadership that can kind of try to mend the country together. Like, right. President, like President Obama. You understand what I'm saying? Even though he was an African-American president, but he was the American president for the American people. Right. Where you have um, the other president who has so much discord, who, who's, who has divided the country. I'm telling you, he's in, divided it in such a way well, you know, these white people feel like they can go into the state capitol with a AK-47 and walk in there and talk about this is my American right. But hell, brothers couldn't even get up the step. They ass would have been shot on the spot. Do you hear what well, I'm saying? That shows I'm just you, saying. Yeah, but that's the truth. But it also shows you, I look at it like this, how his private life is. You know, if you're able to bring this much chaos to a country, your private life is definitely chaotic, you know? Uh, you, know, uh, you, know I, you know, I totally agree with that because you know, yeah. <laughs> I just put it like this. I know Ivana probably sleeping in the West Wing. They yeah. don't sleep in the same bed together and she'll probably uh, pay somebody to go in there and sleep with them, whatever else. You don't <laughs> never, I'm, I'm just saying, you see the sun, he's special. No. I and, think- and, I, I, uh, it's just it's it's just a dysfunctional situation. 
is dysfunctional. And so we have to stop sitting there and, and giving attaboys um, to dysfunction because that makes us think we're, you know, we got a lot of us people of color walking around talking about they Republicans. So they they good with all the dysfunction and craziness that he got going on because they want to be just connected to something. But yet and still, we can't connect to our own people. You know, and I told somebody, I talked to a, a police officer, a few of them, and I said, look, and, and a couple of other people that are in leadership, I don't want to hear nothing about no Black Lives Matter to, matter to us in our community. You know, um, Ricky Smiley's daughter was shot down in Dallas in Houston. And yeah. her mother, I watched a little bit of her talking and she said the same thing that I said. It does not matter anything about Black Lives Matter when it comes to us in our own community. And we can't tell nobody nothing. We don't know nothing. We victimize each other, walk away, act like nothing. We'll show up at somebody's doggone funeral to finish something with somebody that we got to alt with instead of just doing what we're supposed to. But nobody ever spills the beans and say, hey, that was Dorothy's son over there, him and his group that did that. But we yep. want to scream when the popo do something to us. Well, if we're not doing what we're supposed to do, why are the popo supposed to be so free and letting somebody come up and just tag them or whoop them up? Because that's what we're accustomed to doing or watching each other do in our own community. That's crazy. Guess what she said? She said she don't want to hear it. She told him she didn't want to hear nothing. She said, because these two cars pulled up alongside of her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend, they minded their business and they decide that they want to exchange gunfire with the car right there in the middle. And her daughter's legs get shot up several times. Right. She has several bullets. So why did, when are we saying Black Lives Matter? Because somebody saw it. You can't see cars pulled up. And all this gunfire going, and nobody say nothing? Nobody right. knows nothing? That's a lie. Yeah, and you know, I, I always say that it's a learned behavior, right? And my mother always used to tell me when I was growing up, she was like, if you find a badass kid or ignorant-ass kid, oh, yes. and, and you take them home and knock on the door, who you gonna find? An ignorant-ass parent. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's true, because I look when I first got to the DMV area, and I remember seeing these kids. I was on the on the metro on the train, and um, one day these four little girls got on the train. They in in school, middle school. They get on the train and they talking or whatever. And this gentleman is sitting and minding his business. And they get on the train and they, you know, talking loud. And they see the guy sitting there. He ain't bothering nobody. He minding his business, trying to get to where he got to go. But one of the little girls started mouthing off, just popping off at the mouth, just talking crazy and, and walking all over there on them. This is a white guy minding yeah. his business, saying nothing to her. And so she keeps going and her friends are egging her on. So when it was time for the guy to get off, um, she made a comment to him, very disrespectful. So he got off and I said, but what if he would have turned around and snatched her little butt up? What would she have said then? Because if the police asked me, I would have said she deserved it. 
Oh, yeah. And I had to sit there and I said, now, Lord, don't let them think they done lost their one good mind. Whatever good mind they got right now, don't let them, because she started looking around and started acting like she about to start start talking to and about other people. And she looked my direction. I said, Lord, I just let her come over here because she about to find out what a real <laughs> mother going to do. Because I'm going to get her, I'm going to tag her, and I'm going to call her mother and tell her mother that I got her and tagged. And if her mother want to do something, we gonna get, she can get tagged too. Because what oh, you're, yeah. not, you're not about to embarrass me out doing what you're doing that you know you're not supposed to do. And you're not going to embarrass me as a black woman, as a young black girl. What is wrong with you? But again, as you said, when you see something, you that's learned behavior. This is what's probably going on in the household. Exactly. And if right. in the household, it may be the lack of parenting because guess what? We got grandparents trying to raise these kids that think they're smarter than the average bear. So that's Excellent. a whole right. problem. Yeah, like I said, when I say a learned behavior, that's just what it is. And you see a lot of dysfunctional learned behavior, you know, but then a learned behavior two is Rhonda is that you can be in a learned behavior where you like I said where I seen men that worked when I was growing up that mm -hmm. had careers and everything like that I wouldn't have never known what a GI tech was or I wouldn't have never know what the anesthesiologist were or a cardiologist until I worked in the hospital and right. once I got there then it was a learned behavior because I seen people that did careers that I didn't see on TV. Right. But I seen them in the hospital as an African-American GI doctor or a surgeon, you know, or I mean, just so many different things, a profusionist, all of those different layers and different elements where African-American kids, they can't identify that because they don't know that. Right. So that's why I think the medical field is such an awesome career of a kids could go to be a nurse or they could be a doctor or, you know, like I said, being a perfusionist. A perfusionist is the one that's in the operating room and when they do open heart surgery and yeah. they perfuse the blood while they're doing the surgery. They can turn the blood on. They can turn the blood off. They can speed it up, whatever. I wouldn't have never known that an African-American did that until I was able to see that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kids are in learned behaviors and they die because of a lack of knowledge because they don't see. Right. You know, but then, like you said, you got these ones that are in the neighborhoods and everything like that, where grandmothers are raising uh, kids and grandkids because they still raising and they dysfunctional kids. And now you got dysfunctional grandkids that's coming in. Yeah. Too. You know, so like I said, so like I, I just believe in my heart that there's a lot of people, a lot of dysfunctional people who are needing healing that need help, but don't know how to cry out for help. Right. You know? Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. And the only thing that, you know, we as a people can do is to learn how to, one, respect ourselves so that we learn how to give other people respect, you know? Well, yeah learn how to um, be okay with understanding that everything is not going to be 100% super duper okay, you know, but you can get to that 99.9% where, you know, you're not having to worry about a whole lot and you can live your best life and enjoy life, then that's, the, that's where you want to be 
um, and then just showing just based off of what we do. You know, there's so many good people that are out here that are working, that are thriving, you know, and, you know, just trying to be the best that they can be for people that are going through things that are impoverished situations or dysfunctional households. There are enough people out here for you to glean from, you know, where somebody can show you a trade or speak life over you about whatever. There are enough people out here to do that. But the yeah. deal is people seeking um, that in which they need and not just going for the okie doke in which somebody else wants them to have. You know, it's, it's better for you to, to have a goal for yourself and you're working toward it than for somebody else to have a goal for you because now you're trying to prove to them that you can be whatever it is that they want you to be and not who God intended for you to be. Yeah, and you know what? I think another thing that is missing is that we don't... What, how can I put this? When I was growing up, we had churches on every corner when I was growing up. Black churches, Baptist churches, at least three. And right. you could go and you can go into the church whether you're a member or not. You could just go to church. You can go to vac vacation Bible school. Mm -hmm. And you had all of these prominent preachers that were in, in our neighborhoods, but they were active in the neighborhood when I was growing up back in the day. And I think the church is lost in that capacity where you don't have ministers that are in role model positions as far as being able to be a voice in the neighborhood. Because when we was growing up, Rhonda, we was growing up back in the day, you know, you're a teenager, you might cuss or whatever else, you know, you boys, you're doing whatever else. But if you walk past the church, you didn't say nothing. The right. church, you wait till you got two or three blocks away, and then yeah. it, it'll be on and popping. But if you walk by the church, everybody's like, hey, y'all, we can't cuss. And it wasn't nobody at church. We right. just respected the church ground. But what I'm yeah. saying is, but you don't have ministers, like I said, when I was growing up in my day, where they were active in the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? They will walk around in the neighborhood or just have, like, walks. You know what I'm saying? Where you can go up to the church and do different things like that. And you visibly see them. And I right. think that's lost now because a lot of these preachers now, man, they are in the they in the church. They used to have tent revivals back in the day. Yeah, you know, have they don't do tent revivals no more. They used to have them right down there on Fifth Street. They would have them down there on Seventh Street. The winos would be there. People in the neighborhood <laughs> would be there and everything. Yeah. But they did a tent revival for five days. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And nobody yeah, is. Nobody is stepping on that ground anymore. I know, yeah. I know, uh, I know the uh, virus got everything pent in and everything where you can't go fellowship and you can't go to church. And so you're doing things vital. But I'm just saying, but for me as a teenager, as a kid growing up, the church was vital in that capacity. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, it was. It was. It truly was. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back after this. <laughs> 